0: Welcome to the first podcast in our series, Concepts for the New Normal. In each episode, UCL Institute of Advanced Studies will bring together colleagues to explore a key concept of our times, offering a variety of perspectives from the arts, humanities and social sciences on the ideas that are shaping our lives. Today's concept is Speculation. Look out for our next episode on Denial. And you can find our earlier series of podcasts, Life in the Time of Coronavirus, on our website.
1: Let me introduce you to the pieces you are about to listen. We've asked some colleagues about the multiple ways the media uses the concept of speculation. Opening up with African science's piece of music all-day speculative, you will hear from Andre M. Carrington, thinking through a present conflation of events that no science fiction dare to imagine, inviting us not to abandon. Or, as Aris Comporoso's Atanasio follows, to pay attention to marginalized communities, opening uncharted spaces of Everything is possible. Active Denial Systems' piece of music of speculations takes us to Ming Tsao, who explores the materiality of speculation through bodies and musical language encounters. His surrounding piece of music, Miranda Attenvende, connects us to Paul Celan's Attenvende Breathtorn, the concept behind Heide Hinrich's artwork in the cover of this episode. Marina Vinschmidt's piece closes this episode, accompanied by Shaw's piece of music titled Present Tense, from the album Speculations, bringing us to our current divergence between financial markets and real economy, and the unavoidable conflation.
2: none of the stories I read or taught in my classes on speculative fiction presented the circumstances we're currently living in should be reassuring to my creative colleagues. No matter how far-fetched the scenario, there wasn't a single story that combined the pandemic, the metastasis of American white supremacist fascism, and the discoveries of phosphine on Venus and water on the sunlit surface of the moon. I joked at the beginning of the response to community spread in the United States around March 13th that the difference between the situation we find ourselves in and the stories I teach in my classes is that in real life, at least people stay dead. I am myopic, literally, I wear glasses, and I'm African American, so I think about the numbers of U.S. fatalities a lot. The counterfactual history of this era, which I look forward to reading, will redact the United States and focus instead on the moment when NGOs stepped out of their tunnel vision, when the shift to remote work met adequate resources, infrastructure, and support for accessibility, when water, air, noise, and light pollution attenuated to an extent unseen since the cessation of air travel in 2001, when large numbers of dying Africans failed to materialize, when the human organism came into the kind of irreversible relationship It had not experienced for a long time, the kind that caused it to live differently. In that speculative fiction, humans withdraw our companion animals from the market, and cats stay indoors, sparing millions of birds from unexpected predation. They might combine with bats to slow the actual pestilence of flying insects, but the long-awaited collapse of the globalized supply chain may permit the remediation of ecosystems that are currently entombed by plantation monocultures. In which case, let the locusts come. They'll exhaust the temporary abundance, and then, who knows? In the story without the American plot, humanity becomes a species that survives its extinction without vacating or destroying its only habitable planet. And there are finally endings for all those stories foreclosed by the sacrificial justice of the cautionary tale, where the imposter, the adversary, triumphs. In the current timeline, we are absolutely certain that the virus will not kill us all, not every single American, not the worst and not even the least among us. The new world will carry a residuum of this reality, even if it is finally defeated. We can't afford to be so fortunate that we eradicate every trace of this hateful normal on our way to the future. We may have to come back here to find what we need to survive when the next one hits.
3: Speculation. Speculation is a definitive feature of our chaotic times, our collective coping mechanism, our go-to answer to everyday life's disorienting volatility and ultimately an instrument for orienting our collective imagination, for developing the myths and narratives that we need to make sense of a profoundly uncertain future. Our era seems to be on a hinge. Time itself feels anxious and unpredictable, while our previously common-sense truths are shaken both in economy and polity. Fake news mills, troll farms and disinformation warfare Are the order of the day in mainstream politics. Conspiracy theories continue to gather strength, from new anti-vax movements that denounce coronavirus as a spam to QAnon plots of an anti-Trump deep state. This state of affairs reflects a new political unreality, a world that is rendered more and more opaque by a deliberate sowing of confusion. At the same time, such opacity and confusion become common features of everyday social life. Our routine navigations of image-hungry social media like Instagram, YouTube, TikTok teem with disorienting videos unfurling on our smartphones. Screen time and real time collapse in the short-lived experience of Facebook's perpetual scroll and dating up Tinder's left or right swipe. A nervous pursuit for ephemeral connection that seems at once compulsive and unyielding.
2: With, so much suffering, they be...
3: with each scroll and swipe, our notion of truth and observable reality seem to drift further out of our reach. And we are left with speculation. In financial markets, speculation can be defined as an engagement in investment activities which are inherently uncertain for the purpose of profit speculation includes wagers on possible future movements of asset prices but also the trading of assets which seeks insurance against such price movements in other words speculation is both shorting and hedging but above all to speculate in the contemporary highly sophisticated algorithmically generated trading means, at a fundamental level, to endorse uncertainty rather than try to control or to eliminate it. Today, speculation becomes the model for society writ large. From our choices of partners to our choices of government. Futures, securities, bonds, terms once repurposed for the market speculator's lexicon, Return to our everyday social and political vernacular to infuse it with finance's own ambition. We live in the age of speculative communities. To speculate means increasingly to connect with others on the basis of assured precarity, to endorse uncertainty preemptively rather than try to control it, as a means of social survival, and sometimes to bet on it. I am suggesting therefore that speculation must be understood as a profoundly generative social and political force, which may also contain some of the answers to our current predicament. We may call this type of progressive, radical speculation a counter-speculation, a type of collective political action which consciously inhabits spaces that are inherently ephemeral and uncertain, When nothing is true, everything is possible. But how do we make sense of such open-ended possibility? Paradoxically, the distinctive cloudiness of our modern reality has a distinct transparent quality, which allows us to peer into struggles of imagination which were previously hidden away. Instances when groups traditionally subjected to speculative violence, women, racialized and queer people, rise to wage their own bets on the future. Crucially, such instances unveil a possibility for reimagining that future. As new speculative communities emerge out of the previously invincible there-is-no-alternative doctrine, the challenge ahead of us is learning how to occupy this new uncharted territory of everything-is-possible. Can we both expose... The nefarious forces of exclusionary ignorance while finding ways to retain our trust in a shared reality or better yet acknowledging that such shared reality contains myths of our own making, no matter how uncertain this might look like the
1: pain in the head
4: Speculation has had an important tradition in music composition since its roots in late medieval and early Renaissance Western culture, when notational practices began with Gregorian chant. The development of writing and symbolic notation formed an essential aspect of speculative thinking in music composition. In the medieval and Renaissance eras, Music composition was divided into the speculative and practical categories. What is interesting is that speculation and music composition was grounded in mathematics as essential properties of music, such as number, proportion, and symmetry. Including such ideas as the harmony of the spheres, where it was speculated that the periodic motion of the planets produced the music that lay outside the range of human hearing. These mathematical properties as forming the material of music constituted an important quality of speculative thinking before music composition became oriented in the early 17th century towards human expression and emotion. This is how I think of speculation in my own musical compositions. I search for ways in which the ungraspable can be momentarily sensed by a listener. And by ungraspable, I mean that which lies outside the reach of our common understanding of the world, an understanding which places the human subject always at the center of orientation and expression. By challenging this humanist orientation in music, other forms of expression are potentially opened up and discovered, perhaps other musical languages and networks of sounds that lie outside our desire for interpretation, meaning, and closure. Speculation in music composition can point back to the fragility of our own speaking and expressive voices to show that they are embedded in a much larger ecology of sounds that deserve to be heard. Yet it is important to acknowledge that speculation cannot occur in the vacuum, and must take into account the world that supports it with its many layers of historical sedimentation. For music composition, this context constitutes the practical components of musical expression, what I refer to as the concrete musical situation. This situation is where bodies and languages intersect and find points of resistance bodies refer to those aspects of musical production producing sounds on instruments and of the material resistances that they present when musical expression is at play languages constitute the desire for musical expression its phrasings contours rhythms and cadences which is rooted in human speech and make up what we refer to as musical language the basis for musical expression
3: we love the brief light for its quick passing the relative ease as we slide into comfort
4: the practical context of music composition is precisely when our desires for expression come into conflict with the material resistances of sound production And this context provides the ground for speculation, such that mathematical structures and processes, as orderings and relationships that are wholly other than those based in human speech, can create interferences and moments of contingency. These moments of contingency are what composer John Cage calls anarchic harmony, where the sonorous meeting of sounds escapes human intention desire and control. And it is with anarchic harmony that beauty in musical expression finds its most sublime articulation.
1: And the trees grow and grow.
0: The reason I've probably been asked to contribute to this discussion is my book, which is titled Speculation as a Mode of Production, Forms of Value, Subjectivity, in Art and Capital. I chose that formulation, Speculation as a Mode of Production, because it combines the two senses of speculation that I work with there, the speculative practices of art, on the one hand, and financial speculation as a compounding of capital's fetishism of the future as its own growth, on the other. While speculative thought is a constant feature of art, particularly in critical practices which relate to the conditions of their own production as their material, speculation in its economic sense can be more broadly defined as the self-expanding or self-valorizing dynamic of capital per se, although it's more discernible on the ground in what Marx calls fictitious capital and what we usually call finance. My primary interest has been how such speculation both aligns itself with the open-ended speculation of thinking and art, but ultimately gets enclosed on other levels of the system into generating private profit. This is the level of technological and ideological instruments such as derivatives, government bonds and human capital, no less than the modes of intensified exploitation and extraction that reach from the scale of the planetary to the genetic the, so to speak, death drive of speculation's death drive. Where I would connect this to the present moment is in thinking about the, so to speak, great divergence we've observed recently between financial markets and the, of course, already extensively financialized real economy that has been such a striking feature of the pandemic. It would be important to point out that the heavy state support Lowering of interest rates, quantitative easing, stock buybacks, and other techniques that have kept the markets healthy in a sick and fragile society have also imparted to the markets a wholly different temporality than the rest of the economy and social life. In the latter, the march of time is relentless and it doesn't usually bode well. More debt, more illness, more trouble accessing services, more state violence as well as less. Less room to manoeuvre, less resources, and all the rest of it. This is time taking its toll, and the forward movement of a time that highlights the circumstances, in which most people have very little agency. This diminution occurs despite the feeling of stalling or looping that attend on the restricted conditions of lockdown and the intermittent punishing crawl of COVID time, which seems to bring about a general feeling of futurelessness. For the markets and everyone who profits from them, on the other hand, this time of attrition has, thankfully, stopped, because they are insulated from all social reality. The divergence from reality and its temporalities is, of course, anticipated in Marx's term for the finance industry, as I already mentioned, which is fictitious capital, which he describes as the transmutation of paper claims on value into further claims, and their connection to any surplus value produced in any part of the economy becomes increasingly tenuous. So this makes all processes of valuation in the financial markets both self-referential, and, as we've seen over the last 30 or 40 years, claiming to represent the general interest. Or, as Jacques Kamat put it already in 1969, speaking of capital as a social force in a wider sense, quote, "...today, more than ever, capital finds its own real strength in the inertia of the process, which produces and reproduces its specific needs of valorization as human needs in general." quote that even as we diverge, we converge, as in the eminently speculative equation of life and the economy, which are subliminally conflated, even as we are overtly asked to choose.